How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Smackdown. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been great. And other than the weather, obviously, but it's the way she goes, right? That's true. What kind of weather have you been getting in Calgary this week? We got another round of just snowed in. Okay. You know what's funny, Tim? Every every episode, we always start off by talking about the weather. And I remember, you know what I think it, it comes down to? I think it's because that's the one thing that we as Canadians are A, fascinated about, but B, it's something that we can't control. It's like... Well, says the guy on Vancouver Island. I know, but that but that's the thing. You know what it's like living here. It's like, it might rain one day, it might snow, it might be sunny. They don't know what's going on out here. But it's funny, even if you watch the Weather Network, I think that's where, like, if it snows in Toronto and they have to bring the army in, the rest of Canada can point and laugh. Sure, but for... That ice storm was bad. Like, uh, have you ever been to Toronto? Never. Uh, Outside of the airport, no. Okay, so uh, it was bad enough that Union Station, the central commuter hub for Toronto, got flooded out and required years of remediation to the point where they just remodeled the whole thing and when i say remodel they they basically gutted union station afterwards like it was a really bad storm just because of the ice storm well it was like the mix of ice and and then like weird melts and then all the snow and then power went out pretty much around the whole golden horseshoe there so like power went out from toronto all the way down to buffalo and I think beyond as well. Like that ice storm was brutal. Like uh, my grade on their basement got flooded in that too. Like, yeah, they needed all the help they could get. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, in fairness, even here in BC, when you hear about some of the floodings that happened in the Okanagan or... I'm not in the Okanagan. Remember in Vancouver last year? No, two years ago now, 2021, where the flooding was so bad. Oh, Stanley Park? Stanley Park, but also... You at Sumas Sumas Lake came back, and it knocked out the Highway Three, the Highway One, and the Coquihalla, and eventually the Number Seven. So there were no highways into Vancouver. Oh fuck! I remember that. Well, remember when we were in high school and we had the big flood in Duncan? Oh yeah, and we got to help sandbag. Yep. No oh, fun times. Yeah, fun times indeed, man. So, Tim, you know what's also fun times? Is our cover athlete for today's episode, Season 6, Episode 15, in chronological order, Episode 139, the Dominic Hasek edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background with Dominic Hasek. He was drafted 199th overall by the Chicago Blackhawks in 1983. He played 16 seasons in the NHL with four NHL teams, the Chicago Blackhawks, Buffalo Sabres, Ottawa Senators, and two stints for the Detroit Red Wings, recording a 8 Recording a 389, 223, and 95 record and a 922 save percentage. He also went on to win six Vezina trophies, three William Jennings, two Lester B. Pearson, two Hart trophies, two Stanley Cups in 2006 and 2008, and an Olympic gold medal in 1998. Who do you think Hasek was most famous for playing for? The Red Wings or the Sabres? So, okay, so this is a good question, because when I think of Hasek, I think of him as a Sabre. 
but he won his cups with the you know, Red Wings, the which thing. is crazy. He won his cups in Detroit, but he won everything else in Buffalo. Right. And he broke Ottawa's heart. Yep. Both but as look, an opposing goalie and with us. What's insane is uh, just in that 2000, and, sorry, the 2008 year, and that's probably the only year we really have advanced stats for Hasek. The guy was still playing at an elite level despite being in his mid to late 30s. Don't you mean 40s? Sorry, his 40s. Yeah, shit. Like the guy, the only real analog I can think of in terms of longevity is Craig Anderson. Ironically, also with Buffalo. Yeah, but the funny thing is about Craig Anderson was that he was definitely, he was a late bloomer and Dominic Hossack was the exact same way because, you know, it's funny, like I said, he's drafted in 1983. He didn't come to the NHL until 1990, I want to say, where he was a backup to Ed Belfort. Think of that for a second. You had two Hall of Fame goaltenders (laughs) playing on the same team. Well, also, like, the guy didn't even show up to the... Goalies are weird. Like, it's not that uncommon to see a goalie not show up in the NHL until, like, 25, 26, right? So if he was drafted in 83, he doesn't show up in the NHL until 90. Yeah, he'd be about 25. And I think Craig Anderson, like, he bounced around until, yeah, late 20s when he established himself with the Senators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the thing about Hasek was that I don't think he had any interest in coming over until... I think he reached a point where he's like, okay, well, I did all I can here. Maybe I should come to North America and see. Fair enough, yeah. That's so different, though, eh? It is. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, you're talking about a guy who was like a superstar in the Czech Republic. He comes to North America and he has to fight for that. It's not just given to him. No. No, and I mean, I can't even imagine coming into a system like Chicago where you had Mike Keenan, who is a notorious goalie killer. And still, he came out and just rocked it, right? He did. And the one thing about Dominic Hasek, I went back and watched some tapes of Hasek, and you know, there will always be an argument of who the greatest goaltender of all time is. And you'll always hear Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, 100%. For my money, and I will... Fight anybody who disagrees here. I think the greatest goalie of all time is Dominic Osik. You look at what he brought to the table. The fact that you have never seen anything like what he did. He was so acrobatic. He was so flexible that you watch some of the moves he did. And I think Rick Jenneret put it best. He says, you know, when you watch Dominic Osik, you realize like he's not unconventional. He's not goofy. He's good. Yeah. And, like, I think that's the big thing between Ashik and Brodeur is Brodeur always had way better defensive systems in front of him until the time, until his times in Detroit for Hasek, where he got behind guys like Lindstrom. And then, yeah, all of a sudden he's got two rings in three years. Like, it's actual insanity. And uh, he almost had a third if he didn't bobble a puck in 2000, in 2007. Yeah, that would have been interesting sounding like a final Detroit and Ottawa. Oh, I would have loved to watch that. It would have been very, but uh, yeah, no, well, the big thing is like, I always found Hasek to be just a stronger, faster, but also more disciplined goalie than Roger ever was. Okay, what's your reason for the latter of those? 
for the last like uh for like Hassett definitely was a bit of a hothead, but you never caught him out of position. While every so often Broder would be just what are you doing, guy? But he'd have Scott Stevens to kind of bail him out, right? Yeah, which is interesting because Dominic was always known to cut charge out of the net and stop the the guy coming at him. Yeah, but it's like I felt like, except for like the one time where he absolutely destroyed Marion Gabrick, he picked his times really well. He really did. And what I think of Hasek, you know, it's funny actually. Some of my some of my all time favorite clips of hockey is really involving him, not just because of the save, but because some of the more funny things that happened to him. Like, I remember in the 98 Eastern Conference Finals against Washington, Hassett came out to play the puck, and I think he... I'm trying to remember what he did. I think he chipped it behind him or chipped it in front of him, and Bondra came up from behind him and nudged him, and he down he went. And Hassett got up and threw his blocker at him. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Because it didn't look like... This is the best way to describe it. I don't know if you watched the Kansas City Cincinnati game yet last night. Oh my God. That play in the final seconds where Mahomes running and he kind of gets nudged from behind and down he went. That's what it kind of looked like, actually. Oh my God. I can't I can't believe the Bengals screwed that one up on a foul. Like oh, just an undisciplined foul. Oh fuck me. I know, right? And I think the other thing when I think of Hasek is that when you think of for me personally, I think the one rivalry of the 90s that kind of gets underrated because of the Detroit-Colorado rivalry was the rivalry between the Sabres and the Flyers. When you think was of how violent. strong the Flyers were of the 90s, you go up against the Sabres. And I remember there was one clip in 95 where, again, Hasek came out of the net. Eric Lindros came in between the net and Hasek, and he goes, ooh, he swipes him in his face and down he goes. Like he takes a blatant interference call. In that penalty. Yeah. No, that shit's nuts. Yeah. The one thing I think we haven't talked about, Tim, is Dominic's brief tenures in Ottawa Senator. Because I remember when he signed with the Sens in 2004, I remember thinking, wow, like, for years, I mean, Dominic was such a thorn in Ottawa's side, and now he joins him. Yeah. And it looked like a match made in heaven until those damn Olympics. Yep. I think we've talked about this in the past, though. You know, we talked about the Olympics where he got injured. How much do you think him never coming back was on Hasek himself? Because the doctors cleared him. He appeared to be healthy. The players looked at him as like, this guy's healthy. Why is he not playing? I don't know, man. It could have been a reason. You know, people have have, have said, well, maybe Hasek was screwing the sends or doing whatever, but it's like, no, he pulled this kind of shit in Buffalo, too. Like, that was just the risk with Hasek. The guy wouldn't play unless he was 100. Which is, like, the funny thing about him retiring is he probably could have played longer if he wanted to. He could have been, like, another Yager. Yeah. A Yager or Craig Anderson. Like, yeah. Like, he probably could have been the first goalie to play to, like, 50, 45 or 50, honestly. I think he I think he was. I think he was like 44 when he retired the second time. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry, guys. I still got that cough going. I do want to comment one thing here. When I'm looking at the notes here, the 1998 gold medal. People today do not realize going into that Olympics in Nagano, how heavily favored Canada was in that. 
you had the dream team going there because of the first time the NHLers are allowed to go. So the and so Bobby Clark and Team Canada's thinking, oh my God, we can pick everybody to go. Who wants to go? Lindros, you're going. Gretzky, you're going. Coffee, you're going. Brodeur, you're going. Patrick Waugh, you're going. And everything seems mm-hmm. to be going smooth. Everything seems to be going good. And then they run into Hasek. And Hasek single-handedly won them a gold medal. And I don't think I've ever seen a goaltending performance from an Olympic goalie again like that. No. Like, you could argue Luongo supplanting Broder. Yeah, but Luongo, he, he had some dud moments, too. He had some dud moments. But Broder almost cost them the 2010 tournament. It's true. But I remember talking to one of the delivery drivers and I worked at the school who's from the Czech Republic and I made a comment about that, you know, the 98 Olympics. And he says to me, he says, you do not realize how next level famous Dominic Kosick is in Czech Republic because of that gold medal. Yeah. He says that dude could run for president of that country and they would vote for him. Let's go president. <laughs> president Hasek. Oh my God. It's like Mayor Bochinski to the next level. I know, Tim, but come on now. Like, what country is going to vote a celebrity in to be their president? Like, come on. Canada, United States. I don't think the I don't think an EU country hasn't done it yet. I don't think. They just haven't had time. That's true. And same with us. I mean, you know, as much as I can sit here and talk about Dominic Kosick all night, Tim, it would only be delaying the inevitable, but we got to talk about next week's cover off the poll for season six, episode 16, in chronological order, episode 140. Again, another goalie poll, two names on the board Patrick Laleem and Robin Leonard. Well, that'll be a good one, actually. I know. I even threw it up on our Instagram stories, and it seems to be doing well. So let's go. Absolutely, man. Now, I'm going to move away from talking about our cover athletes and ask a Actually, question. I do have a quick question. Go for it. Are you having more fun with Instagram than tw- we ever did on Twitter? Uh, good question. I think the interactions on Twitter have been better, but I do like Instagram. Yeah, because I hear people say that like Instagram's vibes are just very different and a lot less negative. No, no, 100%. I totally agree with that, man. Even, like, running our own IG accounts, it's definitely been, like, less toxic, less sort of mob mentality about shit. It's just, like, Twitter is so exhausting. Yeah, I think the only place we get insulted about our podcast is Twitter. Yeah. But then again, I don't think we've been insulted about it yet. I think we got, like, a few people say... We've got a few nobody listens to you before, but have we? Yeah, but we just ignore them because it's a guy with like five followers. So who cares? Probably. Yeah. Freaking reply guys. Yeah. I think the only like comment I could really make on that is that one person who commented about the time that Ben Bishop came out on an empty net and 10 minutes left to go. And he's like, well, there's actually a theory behind this. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's different. Wait, you actually listened that far into the episode. Yeah, but that's like. That's not like someone coming out and insult- being insulting. That's like engaging with the material, right? Yeah. And that's different and very cool. 
So people do that more, please. Yes. Please, it can't just be Adam. And well, we've, we've had other people. We've actually had quite a few people like interact with the material, though. So like that's been pretty happy. Yeah, like we've had McKinnon who's done it. Kelly's done it. Adam, like I mentioned, we've had a few people. We've had a few, like uh, it's a few people from Calgary as well that have piped in. Sense chirp liked some tweets. Sense chirp likes the one after we lost seven nothing <laughs> to the Avalanche. It's just a picture of Bill going, "I'm so depressed, I can't even blink." <laughs> but hey, we have good games to talk about this week. Oh my god, I know. Even wins, it's going to be great. Let's go. But before we do that, Tim. I gotta ask about how has your week been going? It seems like forever since we last talked. Yeah, which is weird because it's only been a week. I know, but it feels so much longer. It's the distance. But anyway, yeah, it's just been not too much. Uh, mostly just been uh, doing work stuff, shoveling snow, a lot of that. Really not a lot to talk Wedding stuff? Wedding stuff, eh, it's going. Yeah. Have you decided that you're going to have somebody that comes out of the cake though during the wedding? No. Oh, we're going to have, we're going to have actual cake. Ooh. What kind of cake? Uh, we'll figure that out. I hope it's a good cake. I mean, we liked it. That's good. I think that's the one thing I find with weddings is that, you know, you try some of the wedding cake and it's like, what the? is this oh my god did i talk about this uh on our episodes around christmas so uh we were and i'm not going to name names but we were trying out different cakes and uh we basically did all of our cake sampling on one day and that was a big fucking mistake don't do that i don't think you said this on the air i think you told me in person though yeah so what ended up happening is we got like we did one sampling. It was very good. We liked it. And then we got to this, like, we got the second sample from a different vendor and they get this massive box, like massive, massive samples. And I tried one. And I was like, and it was just the, the oddest taste. And like, I couldn't put my finger on it. And I was like, the other cakes are good. But like this one, this one first bite was just so, I don't know how to describe it that I can't, I just can't deal with this. It just so, put, to put you right off. Yeah, and like part of me is wondering if it's just because I had it so late in a day that I had and had eaten so much cake that I was just like, nope. But then like I went back a few days later and tried like a similar type of like bite on that cake. I was like, no, no, it's the cake. And I don't know what it was. And I still don't know what it was. See, at first I thought it was going to be maybe your palate was just so overstimulated that's what i thought too like that's what chelsea and i thought too so we're like you know what? let's hold off and let's try it the next like day old and see if it's something else it was like no even then it was just very heavy and we got that with like a lot a lot of the wedding cakes we tried it's very heavy very cream and like which is weird because like you know i know the viewers know I have an incorrigible sweet tooth, and even on that, I was like, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's sweet to the point where you're like, I don't want to eat this. Yeah, but like, I don't usually get that reaction. Okay, because I was going to ask, do you have a candy that's like that for you, though? No. Uh, I've been told that uh, I just don't, like some of my friends in Calgary, yeah, 
just think I don't have the ability to sense sweetness because they just they watched me eat in Texas. Yeah. And it's like like uh, the first thing. So we went to a Whataburger and I got the sweet tea there, which is notorious for being just like, imagine I describe video for the visually impaired. Tim is hold, pretending to hold a bag of sugar and he just continuously pours it into the cup. That is what people say sweet tea tastes like. To me, it just tastes like tea. Funny you mentioned this. When Katrina and I were coming back from Portland to Seattle, we stopped at a Jack in the Box. Yeah. And I think she got the sweet tea and even she's like, yeah, this is really sweet. And then uh, I tried the soda that one of my friends from the Houston area was like, yeah, it's just like can like obscenely sweet candy in the in a cup. I'm like, oh, nice cherry taste. <laughs> nice. It's like all right, baked cherry. And people were and like other people like Canadian tried. It's like, what the what is this? Tim, how are you drinking this? I don't know. It's pretty good. Well, it's like Katrina found the soda stream stuff on Amazon. I think there were some like Jolly Ranchers on I want to say Sour Patch Kids, there was some sort of a candy flavor. Yep. And all I thought was like, that would just be so off-putting. I don't think I would want to drink it. I remember they had those Slurpee flavors in 7-Eleven recently. And they're the bomb. I love them. I know you do. But uh, yeah. So my friend was surprised when I noticed that the croutons in the salad we had were sugared. This is oh you're I I see those eyes of like what are you talking about? So we got in uh, pretty pretty early into Texas, and then uh, a bunch of people were coming throughout the day and even late. So so I was like, you know what, Just fuck it, I'm gonna take a nap and then go for a walk. You guys go get like go get food and shit. So I went for a walk. And they're like, hey Tim, what do you want? It's like I might want to see a vegetable somewhere. So they stopped in at this like fried chicken sandwich place. I think it was called Chicken Littles or something. I don't remember. And my buddy was like you know what yeah i think my buddy john's like tim i know you said you wanted to see a vegetable this is the closest thing we found there and uh, i'm not sure if i've described this salad okay so it's like the cup is about the size of your fist yeah about that okay uh half of it is cheese and there's a cup next to it that is about the same size as the salad cup full of ranch dressing now you're talking like shredded cheese or you're talking shredded cheese. Yeah. Okay. With like some random ass vegetables and croutons. And I tried one of the croutons. I'm like, John, these are sweet. He's like, yeah, that's fucked up. That was like when I came to Calgary after like three days of deep fried food and <laughs> beer and alcohol, you Chelsea and I were looking at each other going like, okay, so we're going to all go home after this and eat nothing but salad for a week. Correct. He's like, yep. I, we did that, by the way. Yeah, first thing I did, I ate vegetables when I got home. <laughs> my body just hated me after three days of alcohol, sugar, and deep fried foods. Oh my god. Like, I just... I was surprised that I was able to... Sur well, honestly, I hyperbolized. Like, the first day of Texas, if I'd done that for three days straight, I would have just died. Yeah. Because day two, I think we went to a barbecue place for lunch. Not a great start. Ended at a Japanese place. So I got to have some, like vegetables and soup. And then like the third, the third day we went to a Viet, a Viet buffet for dinner. So I got to have vegetables. That's pretty good. 
So it was like, okay. It's it wasn't like the hellscape that it could have been of fried chicken, water burger, Tim getting hungry at the air the departure airport, so he gets like just a side of fries. Hey, okay, you are you gonna criticize me here? No, no, okay, not good. at all. Because it was like five. I woke up at five a.m. I had like half a bowl of cereal because no, I wasn't honestly. hungry at five a.m. Then I get to the airport. Our flight is delayed till like eight a.m. So I'm sitting there at like six thirty. I'm like I'm hungry now. No, What's open? I was just thinking about when Trina and I went to the UK this summer and we got to YVR like four hours early. She was so mad at me. She's like, I can't believe you dragged me out of bed for this. And right across from us was a Carl's Jr. that was open. And I consider going there to get a burger. <laughs> I like the longer that I like kind of worked in a job or like gone and traveled, the more I realized that left to my own device is bad. Like just absolute bullshit happens. Although I'm not sure if I'm like when I'm with Chelsea, like it's 50-50 if like I let the bullshit happen or not. When I'm on my own, it's probably about 75-25 that I'll eat something at the airport. But then again, I'm often charging it. Yeah. Do you think it's because, like, Chelsea's a bit of a health nut, too, isn't she? Because of her allergies and stuff? Yeah, but also, we'll both look at the menu and be like, this is overpriced. And, like, am I hungry enough for this? Yes, no. But the real challenge comes with I now have the Amex card, which comes with platinum lounges. Oh, buddy, you just wait till you go down to the States and you're getting 10% off. Well, not even that. If I just go into the lounge for food for free, let's go. Yeah, let's go, buddy. So I do want to talk a little bit about my week. Now, as I talked about last week, I was watching that 90s show. So I finally got a chance to finish it. Overall, I liked it. Like, if basically what I stated last week about the show, it's still pretty valid with the last several episodes of the first season. I enjoyed it for what it was. It was a solid six and a half, seven out of ten. Like, watch it if you're bored, but... Yeah, basically. It's not a show that I think you're going to want to religiously go back to watch. But I think for me, you definitely watch it and you're like, yeah, that's good. That, I think, it makes you want to go back to watch that 70s show again because you realize how good the original cast really was in that show. Is it better than the last season of that 70s show? Yes. Okay, so it's worth watching. Yeah, because the last season's fucking garbage. It was garbage. Like, I... So, so like, where would you kind of rate it within that 70s... Like, you're saying, like, compared to, like, a generic TV show, it's worth watching. It's worth watching. It's definitely worth... I, I think for... I think for people who didn't really grow up watching that 70s show, I think they would get something out of it, at least. I think they'll okay. find, like, okay, it's it's fun. It's just the pilot was rough. The pilot was rough. It did get better. Okay. And you know what's funny? I've actually heard, I don't know if you watched Shit's Creek with Eugene Levy and... I've heard it's good. I watched i think the first season the first season's a little bit rough to get through i heard the show's fantastic but then again you think of a lot of shows i think it's a very common thing when you think of shows that were very popular the first season's always kind of rough like the simpsons was like that the office was like that it's funny because like for a sitcom like that 70s show 
I think people remember it fondly because you don't have to watch the first season to get it. Same thing with The Simpsons. You could just start with season two. Yep. And the other nice thing about The Simpsons season one is it's actually quite short. And even by the end of season one, they they figured it out. Because I know, coming from an anime fandom, the old standby rule was the three-episode rule. You give it three episodes, if it's crap, drop it. Yeah, King of the Hill was like that too. As much as like the King of the Hill's animation the first season was not that great, I think it's a show that you... That's I, I don't know if you really... I think King of the Hill passes the three-episode rule. Yeah, it's definitely... You pass that, but I'm trying to think, is, like, is it a show where you could just start anywhere? I think that just showed that you kind of need... There's certain key episodes they are, but that enhance later episodes. The characters, I think you kind of need like context too. Yeah. Like, yeah, like for Luann, there's the episode with the pig guy. Yeah. Who, voiced by Michael Keaton, did a great voiced job. Voiced by Mike. Yeah. The episode where her boyfriend blows up. Buckley. Buckley. <laughs> uh, well, that, that, no, that's not the episode of Buckley's Angel where he was on the trampoline. <laughs> no, it's the one where uh, she's dating that guy who ends up getting a job at the Megalomart that puts Strickland out of work. So all the old guys from Strickland go work at the Megalomart. But yep. the teenager do- doesn't listen to the old guys, wipes the propane, tanks wrong, sets, blows it up. With quite possibly my favorite Boomhauer moment. Dang old Megalomart going, boom. Sir, boom. you're going to have to say say that slower. And <laughs> he says it slower. <laughs> uh, such a good episode. You know who I didn't actually realize was a voice actor on King of the Hill? was Jeff Goldblum. Who did he play? He had like a one-time character where Peggy filled out this questionnaire online that says that she's a genius. So it was basically a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah, a good episode. But yeah, no, that 90s show was good. The only other thing I got a chance to watch over the weekend, I did sit down and watch both the NFC and AFC championship games over the weekend. What was that? Yeah, as we mentioned about the Chiefs game, you know what, though? I do got to say, out of the two games, the Chiefs and Bengals game was the better one of the two. I mean, Philadelphia just came in and just absolutely manhandled the 49ers. That wasn't even a game. It's amazing how toothless they are without a quarterback. Even with Christian McCaffrey running, like you, you watch him. But the funny thing is, like, I missed the first couple of minutes of the 49ers game, and I turned it on, and I was like, that's not Brock Purdy. Who the fuck is this guy? Apparently, Brock Purdy hurt his elbow in the first, like, two minutes. Yep. He goes in, and then the fourth-string quarterback gets a concussion, so they put Brock Purdy back in. (laughs) I gotta say, that 49ers game, though, that loss is totally on them. As much as they were beat up, sure, there was quite a few penalties in that game that really killed them. Yep. Yeah. But also, like, like the Philly. Eagles are a good team. The Eagles are good. I think on paper, I still think the 49ers are actually better. Probably, yeah. Yeah, but the Eagles were healthy. The Eagles looked good. Well, the Eagles are also well coached. That's true. Like, they don't take a lot of dumb penalties. No, talking about the Bengals and Chiefs game, like I said, I thought this was the better one because early on it looked like it was going to be Patrick Mahomes the whole game. You thought, okay, this guy's going to dominate. The one thing I 
sure I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before. Bill Burr has always stated on his podcast he's not a Patrick Mahomes guy. He says, he says, what did he say? He says something about he hates the way he runs. He says there's something so fucking awkward and unnatural when he runs. But also, he made a comment on one of his episodes a few weeks ago. Talk, I think it was during the wild card game. He says about the forward laterals. He says apparently that's not a fucking thing anymore. You know, you watch Patrick Mahomes. He looks like he fris- frisbee. Oh, how do you say when he throws a ball underhand? He says it looks like he frisbee throws a purse. <laughs> It's so awkward. Yeah, fucking underhands. It's like me throwing a ball to my kid. That's that's always think about Mahomes. Is like I have like one of my buddies is like a big like Mahomes is going to be one of the goats. Yeah, I just don't see it. Like I I appreciate the analytical argument. I really do. Like the guy has like like quarterback score is impressive, even compared to like the goats on that metric, like Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. But like every time I see him in like a big game, it feels like he's getting bailed out by the rest of the Chiefs. It just looks like he's playing backyard football. It doesn't even look like he's a quarterback. He just kind of looks like he'll just like lug the ball at you. I guess to be fair, like I am a Tom Brady guy, so this might just be me being a hater, but. Yeah, but I mean, when you have seven Super Bowls, it's kind of tough. I think, excuse me. I think if Patrick Mahomes goes into the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks and wins it, I think there's going to be a legit argument for him being in that upper echelon of quarterbacks because the guy's only been in the league, what, five years, six years? And he's been to the Super Bowl three times? Third time, yeah, third time in the Super Bowl. Although, admittedly, this one was close. And I think Joe Morrow's and the Bengals could have easily won. Joe Burrow, I mean, man, I like Burrow as a quarterback. And for me, that would have been so cool to see him go back and play against Jalen Hurts because you're having the future. Of course, I think it's such an interesting Super Bowl for me because when you look at it, it's two quarterbacks who are young, exciting, and you're seeing what the future is going to be for the NFL. That's like the nice thing about the NFL right now is a lot of the very strong quarterbacks are young. Yep. Like even Garoppolo. His young age. He's just, yeah, he is what he is. But yeah, I think for me, the thing that, two things that really killed the Bengals in that game is, you know, everybody wants to, uh, see, I owe everybody a beer, is that everybody wants to jump on, I can't remember the guy's name for the Bengals, who, you know, he pushed Mahomes when Mahomes was out of bounds. Yeah. You know who I have to blame that on is Burrow himself. Because Burrow, before that happened, he threw, he kind of, it looked like he noodle arm through a right. guy. And the chief just watched it and just went, boop, I got it. Yeah. And he threw it right to him. And that's what, and they took it the other way. And Mahomes gets pushed out of bounds and they kick the winning field goal. Yeah. Yeah. No, like if, uh, if the Bengals had kept possession, it would have been their game, right? It would, like I said, it would have been cool to see the Bengals go to the Super Bowl, but. Yeah. It's what it is. The Chiefs and the Eagles will be a good game, though. Yeah. If the Greek, like the Greece was defeated by Philly fans within an hour of the Eagles winning that game, imagine if they win another Super Bowl. Oh, God. They might just riot. No, the riot's guaranteed. 
whether they win or lose. I know, isn't that so weird, eh, that the Eagles went from a team that could never win a Super Bowl and then they win it another back? Yeah. The NFL's weird like that. Yeah. But I guess that's what happens when you have a 12 games, sorry, 13 week season in a game with super high var- variability. Just shit happens. Well, what about Jacksonville and Miami? Ooh, yeah. Jacksonville winning a game? I know. You know what, though? I really was all here for the memes because I picked Jackson. Who the fuck was Jacksonville playing? Kansas City? I think that's who knocked them out. Yeah. Yeah. They were, and I picked Jacksonville just because I wanted to see the Jaguars at least do something. I mean, it was within a touchdown. The nice thing about the Jaguars is that they're no longer the most forgettable NFL franchise. Who is now? Tennessee. The Titans, really? I would say the Titans. I would say Tennessee. Definitely because when you think of teams in the NFL, there's always that one or two teams that you completely forget about. I think the Titans are definitely that team. I I always forget the Chargers exist. And well, it's also because they just can't do sh- they do nothing. Oh, you know who I you know what's weird on my end? You know who I think is one of those teams that I actually kind of forget exists? Is the Commanders. <laughs> I don't know why. I didn't know they changed their name. <laughs> Washington Commanders. <laughs> I can kind of forget that they even still exist. I thought they were still the Washington Football Club. No. <laughs> oh my god. And that the like the worst thing is that it's not even like the Tennessee Titans have are like one of those new teams like Jacksonville. They've been around for a while. I know. They're the they're essentially the Minnesota Wild of the NFL. They're just so mid. Yeah, I can't. Is there like an original six team that is just mid? Because that would be the Titans of the NHL. Oh, like original six in the NHL? Yeah. The Rangers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I accept that. If you think of all the six teams, the Rangers are that team. Yeah, because the Titans are a founding member of the NFL. Yep. Uh, Who else? Like it just... For a while, the Bengals were a team that just existed. Yeah. The Texans might as well be. I think the Titans are just so terrible nowadays that I don't think people even, like, care. Didn't they, didn't they get to the AFC Divisional game last year? No. No, I think they missed the, the Oh, playoffs. they missed the playoffs. Okay. Just who else? The Denver Broncos have been bad. Yeah, they haven't made the suit, the playoffs in, since. Fuck, they haven't made it since Peyton Manning was there. Oh, oh my god! What? what a cursed game! Oh my god, I know. So bad, Peyton Manning retired. Remember when they thought the the answer to the heir apparent was Brock Osweiler? Ooh. What about uh, the Falcons? What a, I guess they went to a Super Bowl in living recent memory. Yeah. But they don't do much at all, do they? No. Or the Panthers. See, the Panthers went to the Super Bowl too in recent memory as well. 
I just I forget they the Detroit Lions. Okay, I disagree with the Lions. People know that the Lions exist. They're, they're just, in that lower echelon of teams that they know they're bad. They're like the Cleveland Browns or the Chicago Bears. Yeah, you you know that they're bad. I would say the Titans. The Titans are the, are the forget, forgotten team of the NFL. Yeah. So I do want to talk about one more thing here, Tim. And you, we were talking about this before we hit record. This is actually my second podcast that I've recorded today. Okay. So as some of you may know, I also do a side project, The Great White Experience. It's the podcast I started a couple of years ago, just so I can have an opportunity to talk about what I want and not bug Tim, because I know how much that drives him crazy when I talk about 10-minute rants about albums that have <laughs> nothing to do with hockey. So for some of you who might know, back in August of 2021, I actually did a full, no, sorry, 2022, I did a full retrospective on Goldeneye, 007 for the N64. And it's like hmm. just a few weeks after that episode came out, the news officially broke that a remaster was coming out for the Xbox and the Switch. It finally came out last Friday. And I got to say, I don't know if I can pick up my original copy anymore. To be fair, the original game was very janky. Oh, God. Going like even when I did that retrospective, going back to play it, you play it and you're like, oh, my God, it's almost unplayable. I like I remember like. About 10 years ago, like earnestly trying to play single player. It doesn't make any sense. Like you ha- like the shit you have to do is just kind of find random bullshit on the map. Find the door that you might not even see because it's all polygon bullshit to leave. Like. It's. Boring. For me, it's such it's such muscle memory that I can go back in that game and I know where the hell I'm going. I think for gamers today who pick it up and play, it's very difficult because, well, especially for the original version where it is so janky, the frame rate's not very good, but there's no map. Well, there's no map, and most of the like most of the levels are pretty arbitrary. Yeah, but that was a design choice because the designers of the original Goldeneye, yeah. basically they just created the levels. They didn't have like a, okay, you go from point A to point B. It's basically just create an environment and throw a player in it. Yeah, and I think as 3D shooters got refined, you saw a lot less like kind of arbitrarily wander like games like Marathon. You saw less of that. You got a bit more direction in Halo, like games like Halo, some of the earlier Metal Bonners that I think kind of pushed the shooters in the right direction, but like modern shooters are definitely either open world bullshit like Halo Infinite mm-hmm. or two on rails. Yeah, and, I, and well, Goldeneye was originally supposed to be an on rail shooter, so I that part understands. But I picked it up on the Game Pass for Xbox, and I think I mentioned on the show, I think that's the reason why I bought the Xbox One. Yeah. Not Xbox One, Xbox Series... X? S, I believe. I think that's the terabyte one. I bought it for that specific reason, because I knew Goldeneye would eventually come out on it. And yeah, I played it, and I was super happy. It's The graphics are crisp and clean. No, it's not the version that was developed like 15 years ago for the Xbox Arcade. But... Honestly, for what it was, I was very happy. Like, Hmm. I really enjoyed it. And 
I was I'm, apparently I'm very much the minority in that because I've read and I've seen some of the reviews online about it. And people are thinking, oh, you know, this game's ruined and whatever. And my whole thing is, it's the best way to describe it. You know when you see a YouTube thumbnail yeah. of somebody talking about a video game and you just look at that person and you know that they're just so fucking miserable. You know that they're not going to say anything positive about this. Oh, you mean like you get the thumbnail and there's like a third of the thumbnails, the game, most of it is their dead-eyed photoshopped face. Yeah, yeah, I know. They, they just have a about. look like, like they have that stupid look on their fucking face. So just like that's why you just don't watch YouTube video game content for the most part. There's like, there's some good ones. Most of the time, the hint is they don't one they don't show their face. B most of the time they're talking about older obscure games. Yeah. So like, Seth scene touch is usually pretty funny if super edgy. If you want to get like deeper than you ever want to get into a game. Mandalore is good for that. I actually do appreciate Markiplier mostly because he he goes into just weird games. Like, especially when he goes into, like, RPG Game Maker. But yeah, for most of the time where you have just some... I don't want to be too mean, but, you know, when you see the face in the thumbnail, it's just like... And it's been photoshopped to high heaven to yeah. appease the algorithm gods. You know it's one of two things. It's either a fucking streamer who's so goddamn annoying, or it's just a miserable bastard who just has nothing positive to say about a game. There's, like, stream streamers are tough, because there are some that are like, okay, you're fun to watch. Yeah. Others are just like, okay, you're not very good. It's Streaming's definitely harder than it looks, right? And I don't know. There's some streamers where I'm like, why are you popular? <laughs> I never got that into streaming, to be perfectly honest with you. It's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't really, doesn't appeal to me. But then again, people could say the same thing about us watching sports on TV. And it's like, yep. well, how is it you could sit there and be entertained by watching a thing for three hours? It's like, I don't know. It's why do you think millions of people can go on to Twitch and watch a stream? Yeah, it's, it's the same thing, except one's a video game and one's, a, you know, professional sports. Well, the thing I've always found, and hopefully this gets better as the streaming industry matures, but sports, just because of all the money tied into it, the presentation is so much more polished. The quality of the action is higher. There are some, like, the more polished streamers that have, I think Markiplier has a contract with Disney, for instance. Like that, you're starting to get like that level of streaming is really starting to get kind a bit closer to the the polish that sports has, mm -hmm. just because there's a lot of funding behind someone who is very talented at playing a game and being entertaining at the same time. Yep. Like that's the hard thing is playing the game by yourself and being entertaining. That's hard. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not discrediting streamers at all. It's just, it's not my thing, right? Yeah. But going back to what I was saying about GoldenEye, if you are going to pick up it, I swear you need to pick it up on the Xbox. It's a so much better port. You can tell that there was so much more attention given to it, where I think from what I've heard about the Switch version is that the controls suck. The controls are terrible. It's essentially the N64 version. And the, even if you go into the menu... And you have the like, trying to mess around with the control settings. It still has the N sixty four controller. 
for the Switch. Which is weird because on the Xbox version, they have an Xbox controller. I think it... Oops. Oops, did I... I think the reason why they did that is Nintendo sells these gimmicky controllers for their virtual... for their streaming virtual console. And... They want you to use that. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, that's my guess. True. But, I don't know. That's that's what I got to say about Golden Knight. I'm definitely going to upload the episode tonight. So, if anybody's interested in listening to that, definitely check it out on YouTube at Great White Experience. Neat. Yeah. You know what's also neat, Tim? It's a segue into this little segment I like to call Pop of the Hour. So I gotta ask him, like, whose parent do you think is gonna call us this time when talking about top of the air? Hmm. That's a good call. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know uh, Katrina just texted me there. Yeah. <laughs> so. Honestly, there fair. That's fair. So, obviously, with top of the air, Tim, we've got a death to talk about. Yeah. I'm not gonna go into it again. You know how I feel about it. But this one is actually kind of a cool story. The Toronto Police issued a statement regarding the passing of longtime fan Mike Davey, whom attended his first Leafs game on Wednesday night, only to pass away the next day. I did get a chance. I'm trying to think. I'm sorry, I think it was like CTV or whatever. They did a whole new story about this. And I got a chance to read a bit of the article. And it just seems like he was a lifelong diehard fan who dealt with some health issues and never got a chance to go. So it was very, very cool that he got to see his first Leafs game. Yeah, and it was really cool to see the Leafs organization kind of work as hard as they did to make it possible for him to go. You know? 100%. And, you know, that's such a cool thing. And I know that... Well, I don't want to make the connection here between this story and when the Senators had the connection with Jonathan Petra mm. because given that they both have health issues, but no, this is a, such a very cool story. And I think it made for a, a heartwarming one that at least yeah. even if the, the gentleman passed away. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like the gentleman did have a pretty good, like despite the health issues, he finally got to kind of do one of his lifelong dreams that go finally go see the Leafs and yeah, it's you love when a hockey organization does that. So we're going to move away from talking about the Toronto Police and talk about the real Ontario team, the Ottawa Senators. Now, usually, Tim, with the Ottawa Senators stories, I usually leave them for the end of Top of the Hour, but this story was... Man, this is that's such a really sad story. The Ottawa Senators announced that their assistant coach, Bob Jones, was diagnosed with ALS. Just a brutal disease, but uh, seeing the hockey community really reach out and offer him support. I came up on the uh, sports net broadcast of the Leafs sense game on Friday as well. Just goes to show like how valued this man was in the community. So many, so many players, including current and former NHL stars uh, had their lives and their games improved by him. I, if I remember correctly, it was Steve Ott was basically crying when he was talking about his interactions. 
So we've got to give a big congratulations, Tim, to Colorado Avalanche head coach Jared Bednard, who became the winningest coach in franchise history at 266 wins. Bednar, who became the head coach of Colorado in 2016, has led the Avalanche to two division titles and a Stanley Cup championship in 2022. It's funny when talking about Jared Bednar, Tim, because when I think of the Colorado Avalanche, when you think of some of the head coaches they've had in their history between not, not only with Colorado, but with the Nordique as well, you know, you hear names like Bob Hartley and Mark Crawford and Joel Quinville, Patrick Watt. And Jared Gerard Bed or Jared Bednard's the guy who is the winningest coach. Well, he it's... was here from the dark ages too. Yeah, like he was that coach from the just the 2016 what is this team even era? 22 win team. Yeah. And the Joe Sackick traded Duchesne for what team? But then all of a sudden you give him some players give him some time with McKinnon and all of a sudden it just turns around and the Colorado Avalanche are suddenly they're a juggernaut under him. And like, it's four years of regular season dominance for the Avalanche that was finally rewarded with the Stanley cup in 2021, 2022. Yeah. And man, they won decisively. Like it was incredible. Cause maybe yes. even when we were talking about that during our playoff episode last spring, we were just like, Holy crap. These guys are a wagon. Well, look what they did to Tampa Bay, right? Yep. Described audio. Tim's wife, Chelsea, walks into screen. But yeah, I don't think I've seen a dismantling of a team like that in a very long time. And it's a shame that they've just been so injured this year. Yeah. But the nice thing is that they're getting healthy now and things are turning around for the Avalanche. So, no. It's only Who drops out in the West? See, that's tough. I don't know. Probably Calgary, honestly. Yeah, Calgary is just struggling. It's I don't think they've really found their game. I no. think when they brought in Huberto. I think they expected him to kind of replace what Johnny Goudreau did. And they're just not the same type of player. Well, that team just got wrecked. Just wrecked by the offseason. Yeah, despite what their GM does, right? Well, the GM, I think, made the best out of a bad situation because, like, Uyghur has been legitimately great. But, yeah, Goudreau has been rough. Like, he just hasn't found the... He hasn't found what he needs to find yet. Did you happen to see when the Blue Jackets played the Flames this past week? And even in the morning skate, the Blue Jacket players were booing Goudreau when he touched the puck? Sorry, the Blue Jacket players were? Yes. What? In the morning skate. Just <laughs> so Goudreau can get prepared to get booed with the Calgary fans. He touched the puck and all here is boo. That's incredible. You know what's also incredible, Tim? Have you ever heard of an NHL team that scored an empty net goal in the final two minutes of regulation and ended up losing? The San Jose Sharks do it again. San Jose Sharks became the third team in NHL history to score an empty net goal in the final two minutes of regulation and lose. The other two teams were the 1969-70 Detroit Red Wings and the 2019-20 San Jose Sharks. Oh, Jesus Christ, San Jose. <laughs> I mean, that Dorian trade to get the Stutzla pick. 
so good. That 2020 draft, man, it is becoming so good for us. Not only because we've got Stutzla out of it, Sanderson out of it, Ridley Grieg out of it. Yeah, no, and uh, it looks like Castellic might be a hit as well. Yeah. Sorry, not Castellic, uh, Tyler Cleveland. So it's like, yeah, that 2020 draft, I think people kind of pooed it as it happened. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Sanderson looks like a stud in his rookie season. So does. Ridley Grieg has played, like, granted, he's playing with Claude Giroux, who's on a mission, and Alex freaking Debrinkit, but that line's looked good. Yeah. To be fair, they did play against two of the three games were the, against the Islanders and the Habs, who are Garbo, but... Yeah, that's true. Going back to the story, though, Tim, I just... I don't think I've ever really heard anything about this story. Like, this is not normal. No. The fact that of the three times it's ever happened, it's happened to the San Jose Sharks. Twice. Yeah, two of the three times it's ever happened, it's happened to the Sharks is kind of incredible. And they don't... The funny thing is, is I think they had different... No, they had the same coach both times it happened. Yeah, because it wasn't McClellan when it was the first time that it happened. I don't think so. No, because he was already in Vegas by then. Yeah. Just incredible stuff, though. Oh, my God. Right? Oh, my God. San Jose is brutal. The Washington Capitals and Carolina Hurricanes have unveiled their 2023 Stadium Series jerseys. Uh, honestly, I don't know what to say here. I mean, the Hurricane ones were kind of okay. I think yeah. the Capitol ones were kind of interesting, though, where the out- it just has the outline of the Capitol. Yeah, I know people were angry. Is this the one I'm thinking of where it's the Weagle jersey? Yeah, it kind of looks like the, the Whataburger logo. Yeah, people were mad about that one. Because, like, people liked that design, but then it, they didn't like the particular design. It kind of reminds me of that Stadium Series jersey that LA did a few years ago, where it was like black and then it blends into white on the bottom. The one that I actually really liked at first, and then I came very cold about over time. Right. Yeah. So, Tim, we've got a couple of signings to close off top of the hour. Vancouver Canucks have re-signed forward Andre Kuzmenko to a two-year, $11 million contract with an AAV 5.5. Kuzmenko have recorded 21 goals, 22 assists for 33 points in 47 games for Vancouver at the time of the story. Kuzmenko's a good player. I don't know why Vancouver did this. Like, the money's good. But it's just like, I'm surprised that they didn't trade him at the deadline for a rental. Oh, wait, no. Aquilini doesn't do that. But at the same time, then, they like, okay, I really have no idea what's going on in Vancouver right now. They punt the coach, they sell Bo Horvat for futures, Just and then they, instead of flipping Kuzmenko, they keep him? Yeah. Like, what's going on here? I don't know. I mean, for a guy who's only put up, as of the time of that contract, 33 points in 47 games, that's a pretty good number. I think that's a pretty rich contract, though, especially for an AAV. That's, yeah, that's fair. But, you know, it could be one of the, it could pay off next year, right? And then, of course, 
you know, if he continues, then he's going to get the big money and a team's probably going to pay him. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Arizona Coyotes have re-signed defenseman Yuso Velamaki to a one-year, $1 million contract. Velamaki had recorded two goals, 10 assists for 12 points in 42 games for Arizona at the time of the signing. Yeah, so Velamaki is just a quietly solid defenseman. And uh, Arizona is going to keep anyone around on cheap money. Can do worse than Valimaki. That's true. It's not a bad sign. No, it's going to be... Arizona is going to be an interesting team to watch, though. Just with all of... All of the pending UFAs or UFAs next year that they have. It's going to be a lot of motion at Mullet Arena. That is true, Tim. That is true. Because it looks like uh, Ghost Pierre is probably going to get traded. Do you think they're finally going to trade Shikran? I don't think they have an option at this point. I think they have to. <laughs> yeah, but do you think they're going to get their price? No. God, no. No, that's a pretty rich deal, dude. Yeah. Fair, fair. So, we're gonna go, so Tim, we're going to close off top of the hour by talking about a New York, New York Rangers signing. Now, this is a name that I did not think that we were going to bring up during top of the hour again. Are you ready for this, Tim? Yeah, yeah. New York Rangers have re-signed defenseman Ben Harper to a two-year, $1.55 million contract with an AAV, 775000 Harper have recorded one goal, two assists for three points in 18 games from New York at the time of the signing. I get it that he's their seventh defenseman. He's still in the league? Yeah. He took, he had a one-year leave of absence when uh, he was sent to Robita Island. And by that, I mean the AHL to play with the Marlies. Then he played uh, a third, he played uh, most of that lockout shortened season with Nashville. Played like 20 games with Nashville the year after that. And now it's playing with new playing with the Rangers. Incredible. It's like his career will never die. Yeah. And you know how we thought he was bad in Ottawa? Yep. He's gotten worse. How? But yeah, New York fans are uh, not happy. And uh, Evolving Wild was like, you know what's crazy? There's the Rangers are one injury away in the playoffs from having Ben Harper play major minutes with Lieber Haycheck. Oh, man, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to be something. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the air for Wish Week, which can mean only one thing. Sam's time talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Islanders versus the Senators, Senators versus the Leafs, and the Canadiens versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Islanders versus the Senators. This is a 2-1 to Senators victory. Brock Nelson got the lone Islanders goal 
Sends goals scored by Shane Pinto and Claude Giroux. Shots were 38-36 for the Senators. Shane Pinto gets Ottawa on the board first to make it 1-0 Senators. Claude Giroux scores to make it 2-0, and Brock Nelson scores to make it 2-1 Senators, which would be the final. See, I almost messed up there, I thought. Yeah. So, I had to condense this one. It was a gym day. I went over to Katrina's, cooked dinner that night, so I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Ridley Grigg, first NHL game, one assist and eight shots. Her, he looked fantastic in this. He was a man on a mission, and he was probably, I don't want to be too, I don't want to toot his horn too much, but yeah, he was probably one of Ottawa's best skaters that night in his first NHL game. That Giroux, Debrinkat, Grieg line was dominant. And they they absolutely dominated their main opposition, which was the Bolivier Law, the Bolivier Barzell Sizika's line. Like it just wasn't even close. One of the comments I heard about this game was that Cam Talbot left the game early with an injury. I don't know what exactly happened there. Do you know what happened to it, Tim? He just turned weird. He basically hurt himself in a play stoppage. He was stretching out his leg, and that was it. It's one of those things that I'm sure everybody's done it, but when you're playing at such a high level, doing such extreme motions that a goalie does, imagine, like, like you know, when like you stretch your leg and it doesn't stretch right, and you kind of overstretch, and imagine doing that and you, tear, like, tear a muscle. <clears throat> yeah, this is a funny story. So there was a quarterback in the NFL who... He got a sportsman ass slap and he actually pulled a muscle. <laughs> That's one of my all-time favorite things I've ever heard in my life was that he goes like, yeah, smack, I fuck. He went down. It's incredible. Yeah. A guy who looked incredible here, Jake Sanderson, two assists and one shot. I mean, what can you say, man? He just, he looks so good in this. Smooth skating as always and What's kind of interesting is, well, let's look at ice time. Shabbat and Sanderson each played 23 minutes. If that's what the ice division can start to look like in Ottawa, I think we'll see a far more effective Thomas Shabbat, and we'll really get to see what Sanderson is. Yeah. Because like, I find Shabbat is better when his minutes are, when he's not playing half an hour a night. But if, yeah, Sanderson is... 22 and can handle over a third of a game and play those mitts very, very well with Hamannick stapled to his ass. Him and Shabbat can can basically share that number one role. And and if they can find a right shot defenseman that complements them as well as Zub does, watch out. Now, the last guy I want to talk about here is Claude Giroux. One goal, one assist for two points on the lone shot. Again, another guy who's just continuing his great play this season. Oh, yeah. And he was given the first star of the week for a reason. As we will talk about in the next two games, seven points on the week. Including the game winner here in in Ottawa against the Islanders. Just dominant play. 
someone else I want to talk about is, well, Ridley Grigg with those eight shots. There were more than a few opportunities where he probably could have gotten a goal if Valramov wasn't playing as well as he was. Because, like, he was all over that net in tight and just getting tons of great looks, great tips, backhanders onto Valramov. And for a guy who I think is only 20, to have that sort of poise in his first NH his first week in the NHL is just absolutely insane. Like, I would not be surprised if Ridley Gregg remains in the NHL for the rest of the season. It's clear that he fits here and he'll learn more playing against the, the best of the best yeah. than he will in the on a comparatively weak Belleville team this year. The only one thing I really noticed about the Islanders and the condensed version, Tim, and this is something when I got a chance to see the Islanders play the Kraken on New Year's Day, I totally forgot how fucking slow the Islanders really are. And I really noticed that when I watched them play the Kraken because the Kraken were not exactly the fastest team in the world. No. Well, the Islanders are one of the oldest teams in the league. And their young on their back end, their young guy is Alexander Romanov, who isn't exactly fleet of foot. Like the skill game for the Islanders, and this is why I get this is kind of why I get why they made the Barzell trade, but I, I think it's time for the Islanders to blow it up, honestly. Yeah. Because they're getting elite goaltending and they still can't win. Yeah, that's fair, Tim. Because, like, all they've really got is Barzell, Nelson, Lee. Horvat. And Horvat now. Like, it's just... And they got absolutely... Do like, that Nelson, like, their top line just got absolutely dominated by the Kachuk-Stutzel line, which has been... Like, that Kachuk-Stutzel-Joseph line has been on fire. And let's talk about the Toronto game, because... We're going to be talking about that Stutzla line. Oh, yes. Believe me, I've been waiting all week to talk about these games, Tim. Sens versus Leafs. This is a 6-2 Senators victory. Sens goes scored by Brady Trek with two, Thomas Shabbat, Derek Broussard, Drake Batherson, and Claude Giroux. Leafs goes scored by Joey Anderson and William Elander. So the one thing I really noticed about Toronto, Tim, given that Austin Matthews was out, he didn't play in this game, he's out for the All-Star break as well. Am I mistaken for thinking that Toronto offensively looked kind of sort of toothless without him? It's funny because pre Austin Matthews has been injured a lot, let's be real. Mm -hmm. Previously, Toronto has been able to look convincingly strong without him. But this time, I don't know if it's me being the shitter that I am, is it the absence of Jason Spezza or like this? Yeah, the team looked disjointed. They couldn't finish. Admittedly, Tavares got some nice looks like that Tavares Nylander line. The Tavares, sorry, Tavares Marner Bunting line looked pretty good. Although you can definitely tell that Michael Bunting is a product of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Uh, but I felt like 
the Senators' top line looked, whenever they're on the ice against that Marner Tavares line, they were causing, they were causing miscues in the Toronto end. Like they were making like all these really weird hurried passes in transition that they just didn't have to make. Mm-hmm. And Tim Stutzler, Brady Kachuk was there to take the puck and then victimize Toronto with it. And it was yeah. just a weird thing to watch because usually they're a far more, dis- the Leafs are a far more puck disciplined team than that. Yeah. They didn't look as, ex- as explosive with the puck. And I think that's really uh, contributed to Matthews because when you see Matthews out there, you know, he's going to get the puck. The other thing is that the Leafs do have that really bad habit of playing down to their competition and they prop and they clearly underestimated the senders because there's a, they came out kind of a bit slow. Shabbat pots one basically instantly. And you see that rate of play just intensify, but then Ottawa starts to match. And then that second period, Ottawa just takes it to them. And then score effects come in and Ottawa just kind of coasts through the rest of the game. Well, it's funny, the Shabbat goal, I didn't even get a chance to see because I turned the game on. I think it was like a few minutes into the game already. Shabbat had scored. But, you know, it's really a shame that he's been kind of forgotten about in a weird way by the fan base. When you see all the talent we have up front, that Thomas Shabbat kind of goes a little under the radar on this team. Oh, for sure. But at the same time, it's like, It's tough too because, like, I feel like he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. Because he had, we're talking about a defenseman who's just shy of the thirty-point plateau in less than fifty games played. Like that is very productive for a defenseman. Of course, Eric fucking Carlson exists this season. I know. It's so good so, to have him back, though. Of course. So, like, Shabbat's going to get overshadowed for sure, but he hasn't been bad. But then again, like Brady could like the Senators forwards have been very, very good this season. Like we all talk about Drake Batherson and Alex Debrinkat not playing well. They both have 40 points. With Debrinkat's almost hit the 20 goal mark again. Well, I think with Batherson, you could tell I think he's a bit lazy on the defensive end of the puck at times. I think that is kind of aggravating what fans to see, but He's just a guy who's quietly had himself 40 points. I don't even want to say he's lazy on the defensive end because like the thing about Batherson has been he's been excellent in the defensive zone when you look at expected goals. Like when he's on what's weird about him is just every so every so often you get that brain fart. Yeah. And he always gets victimized on it. Mm-hmm. But otherwise he's like his back checking and forechecking are excellent. And he's a very good playmaker. Another guy who's a really good playmaker, Tim, Tim Stutzla. Two assists, three shots. It's a shame he didn't get a goal in this, man, because he had some nice, nice looks. Well, how many times did he carve his way through? (laughs) uh, Why am I blank? Yeah, like he carved his way through uh, Riley and Giordano. How many times? Especially that one where he he just picks up, like he gets the puck from Hamannick dances around three guys and I'm sad he didn't shoot on this play. He opts to try and get it to Debrinkit mm-hmm. and uh, Debrinkit like it gets disrupted. Debrinkit still gets a puck and gets a shot on, but I really wanted him to shoot on that one because he probably would have scored. 
yeah, like that, that effort was so nice. I've noticed that Stutzla is more a passer. He doesn't really shoot, which sucks because when he shoots, he it goes in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think part of that's also he's very judicious with his shot. Because remember, Tim Stutzla leads the Ottawa Senators with goals at 20. And at a, at a 16% shooting percent, that might regress a bit, mm-hmm. but not a lot. 16 isn't ridiculous. But yeah, like Tim Stutzla has been, yeah, he was on fire that game. Yeah, same with Brady Tachuk. Two goals on four shots. What can you say? He looked really good in this game. Oh, yeah. Um, You know who got fucked this game? Samsonov. Oh, my God. Did he ever? Like, this, this is what Leaf fans should expect out of Matt Murray. The guy, he'll 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 be the starter, and then all of a sudden, lol, nope. Because Matt Murray took warm-up. And then I was like, yeah, I know. Toronto had an e-bug. And then Sam Sonoff got lit up. Like, admittedly, Toronto was just, like, the Leafs' defense gave him no help. And he wasn't getting the goal support he needed from the forwards. But... As I was saying about Talbot last week, if you have a lacrosse shooting percentage, you didn't play well. No. Sorry, a lacrosse save percentage, you you didn't play well. So I do have two final notes I want to make on these games. Number one, this is the first win the Senators have against Toronto in almost a full year. Yeah, because we lost the first two, right? But also, I want to make a note of one fan. Now, you know, Tim, one of your, I know one of your favorite people of all time was the guy sitting behind the Leafs skull. <laughs> laughed at the guy. There was a fan, there was a Sense fan at the game who mockingly clapped the Leaf fans who left early when they were up 6 2. Like, yay, yay. But yeah, no, I, I, Ottawa played this game really, really well. And we didn't even talk about Brady Kachuk's almost hat trick. Yeah, we did. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Two goals on four two shots. Two goals on four shots. And he was doing Brady shit. Absolutely. So, Tim, let's move on and talk about the third and final game of the evening. Canadians versus Senators. This is a five to nothing Senators shutout victory. Sens goes scored by Claude Giroux with two, Alex Debrinkhead, Matthew Joseph with the empty netter, and Derek Brizard. Shots were 35, 28. For Ottawa. Stop! He's already dead. You know how last week, Tim, I was complaining about the goaltending and I was saying, man, like, it's weird. That's one of our strengths and now we don't have it. But Anton Forsberg, I thought he looked really good this one. I mean, he robbed Montreal for a couple of sure goals and he got the 28 save shot out. Yeah. Like, it's funny. Like, outside of those couple robberies, Montreal, they looked bad. Like, disjointed, couldn't carry the puck. Just bad. And they credit to, credit to Sam Montembeau for playing a very good first period. But then that second was just rough. Especially with the two goals in less than a minute by Claude Giroux. 
I mean, Claude really was Ottawa's best defenseman, in, or sorry, best forward in this game with two goals and an assist on four shots. Well, don't like that Debrinket goal though was a beauty. that is true, and you know the goalie must have been like holy shit, holy shit when he sees him and Stutzla coming down on him, and he's just like, oh god, which one of you guys is going to take the shot? No, it was it wasn't Stutzla. That was Ridley Grieg. Was that Ridley Grieg? I thought that, that was, was Grieg. Oh man, yeah, the Stutzla- like one number. That's all I was missing, just one. But no, like. That was the that play was beautiful too because like Ridley Grieg didn't get an assist on the play, but strong forechecking causes a turnover, gets it up to Giroux, who then passes dishes it out to Debrinket. Just beauty play. You know what I really noticed about Montreal is that they had a excuse me, they had a couple of chances to bury it and they missed completely. Yeah. Or they'd hit the post. Yeah, they hit the post. Actually, Debrinket even hit the side of the net on a shot that he had a wide open net. Yeah, no, like the that thing was is, the one where like, he's breaking the stick over the bench. Yeah, like admittedly, this game probably probably should have been like five three, but Forsberg played very well, and a few posts. Yeah, and what like w, the Senators are back to five hundred, Tim. Exactly. I did one thing I didn't realize for all the talk about uh Wi-Fi Arbor Jack Eye, mm-hmm. he sucks. Like he should not like he is Ben Harper tier. Do you think it's because Montreal fans want to get behind anything and any everybody that they can, so they try to overrate guys? Perhaps. But I guess the other thing that definitely, but from watching that game, just what Ottawa seemed to kind of, it was a weird game where like Montreal shot volume was much lower, but they did get some quality chances that they couldn't convert on. Ottawa was throwing everything and anything at the net. And maybe the quality wasn't that great, but man, it was working. Yeah. Like just buried Montreal in volume. Also, I will say, though, that I'm very happy that the next Sens-Habs game is finally going to be on TSN. Yeah. I'm so sick of these Sportsnet Sportsnet telecasts. Honestly, I think they've gotten better, but it's also... That's what it... Yeah, yeah, we're getting that tier. But also, it's like like some of the guys that they have right now, or like they have Chris Cuthbert, so I when love, you get the I Leafs, love Chris Cuthbert, you know me. I love yeah, Cuthbert. Chris, they've got Cuthbert. Uh, at the very least, Gary Galley seems to like Tim Stute. Gary Galley and Craig Simpson like Tim Stutzla. Yep. So you don't get their hater side as much. So it's like the It's not as good as the TN, TSN production, but it's not just listening to haters hating on the players the whole time. Yeah, no, I guess that's fair. I don't know. I'm still not a fan of the Sportsnet telecasts. But... No, the TSN broadcast is way better. And I don't know how a panel that includes Elliot Friedman is so consistently bad. You know what I think it comes down to? Maybe that's not 
Elliot Friedman's strong suit. Yeah. Because if you hear him on 32 Thoughts, you can tell he's a pretty smart guy. No, he's a very smart guy. So I think it's like... Doesn't really... Maybe it's just awkwardness on TV. Because you I don't even have X amount of minutes to... Or X amount of seconds to put your thought across. I don't think it's that either. Because remember back in the CBC Hockey Night of Canada days, he used to just have like a segment where it was him talking about what he had heard. Mm-hmm. And he was great. I wonder if, like, I think it might be the panel format isn't, but it's either the por- panel format isn't for him or everyone else on that panel sucks. It's like, I'm, because even Kevin BX has not been that great on the panel this year. Yeah. I wonder, Ron McLean hit. I wonder if Ron McLean was ever good and people were just like marking him on a curve because he was next to Don Cherry, who in the later years was certifiably insane. I think Ron McLean, he was good for what he was. But when they try to do more with him, it's just awkward. Like, you remember the beginning of the year where he was doing like the Elvis impression and all that stuff? That was so cringy, man. Or that really weird where they had him on the boat. Sorry, on like the Navy. I think it was the HMCS Protector. Like, that was rough and like i guess the other, i wonder if it's just they don't that group doesn't me- well they don't it might just be they don't mesh because like i know uh like jamal sorry jeff merrick and elliot freeman on their podcast are great together yeah but like whatever it is it's like kelly like kelly rudy jennifer botterill elliot friedman they don't seem to match Sorry, they don't seem to mesh well. Yeah, it just seems like they just got kind of got thrown together. Yeah. Because, like, I don't mind... Like, I don't mind uh, Jennifer Botterill on her own. Yeah. But, but it like... also reminds me of how good the TSN panel was back when they had the rights to the games because you had... Who do you have? Yeah, James Duffy, you had Bob McKenzie. See. Chris yeah. Cuthbert. No, Cuthbert was oh. on that. Dave Poulin. Right. Uh, Sometimes they'd have Marty Biron, Ray Ferrero. Uh, Noodles. Well, even nowadays where their panel will be, uh, you you still have James Duthie. You'll have uh, Cheryl Pounder, who's excellent. And uh, you'll every so often you'll have Bob McKenzie. You'll have Dave Poulin still. And Mark Mathod, obviously. And Mark Mathod, yeah. But yeah, like... That panel's great. Like, this might just be me being a hater, but I've never liked Kelly Rudy in anything he's done. He's so believably biased towards Calgary, though. And I think that was used to piss my dad off as a, as a Vancouver fan, was that he was so against the Canucks and he was so for Calgary. And it was just like, oh, I don't even think it's biased. It's just like he never says anything interesting. It's just white noise. Yeah, so it's like you'll have like this int- like Elliot or Jennifer will be making this interesting point and then he'll just like cut in and say nothing and then Ron McLean will move on to the next piece. Yeah, I think that's why even sorry, going back to the TSM panel, I think that's why Noodles was so good at it because Noodles was actually very interesting and very entertaining. But even in some of the games when they had Jeff O'Neill on there and O-Dog 
even when we got to talk with noodles, like his old dog is old dog. Anyway, you want to slice it. But the yep. best thing that was the best thing about the world juniors the last couple of years is when they have Jeff on the, on the panel. Cause he is so against everybody else. That's not Canada. And it's so funny to watch. <laughs> it's like when Kevin BX first joined the panel for hockey night Canada. And he was just himself and everybody loved it. And they're like, man, Oh, this is guy's awesome. Like, well, and all the Vancouver fans are going like, yeah, we could have told you that about 10 years ago. Yeah. That's it's, like suck, it's almost like they suck the personality out of him. Yes. That that's it. Because like you even remember, like he was like ragging on Shabbat in like 2020, sorry, 2021. But like he he was justifying himself by breaking down the play and showing you why. Yeah. In kind of an engaging manner. So it was like, okay, no, they, like this is good. And all of a sudden, like that's all gone. And that almost feels like what's happened to uh, Freed, Elliot Friedman and Jennifer Botterill as well. Is like their unique perspective has been just kind of sapped away. You think maybe because it's a national broadcast and not a regional one? It might be it. Maybe like Sportsnet is too worried about bias that they've overcorrected. But it's just boring and uninformative now. Yeah, and I th- that's what it comes down to. Even when I watch Bexa, is like he's got no personality. Well, the other thing that's frustrating is <laughs> so much time on the Sportsnet broadcast is dedicated to fucking gambling. I hate it. Oh, it's brutal. Like, guys, I'm here to enjoy the sport because I like the sport. I'm not here to fix an addiction. Yeah, like. The more that you promote gambling, the more people who are going to gamble. It's like, I'm trying to remember who, I think it was Mark Madden. He's a noted Pittsburgh sports personality. Yeah. He talked about the NFL. He says, I, he wonders what the viewership would be like if you take away fantasy sports and gambling. Like, I don't even mind like free fantasy. Like free fantasy is just a fun way to play the game. Yeah. But the, but the sports gambling stuff is just, it's too much. It's too Well, did you see uh, Rafi, like the children's entertainer, came out and spoke about sports betting in the NHL last week? No, I did not see this. Yeah, so Rafi uh, was talking with the Athletic, and he's working on a he's working with uh, some legislators to find sorry legislators to try and find or and the NHL NHL to find a way to balance it because he's he basically thinks that the way that sports betting is being advertised right now is child exploitation because you're hitting kids who are watching these games, looking up to these players with nonstop ads about gambling. Hmm. So like kids in their formative years are going to learn about gambling and see it normalized. And you're probably going to create some problem gamblers that way. Oh, to kids who may never have even thought about gambling. And it was interesting because he had specific comments about current NHLers who have contracts with these betting companies. So uh, he singled out Connor McDavid saying that when I see a star like Connor McDavid play, I want, I want to appreciate that special skill, that excitement that he gives everyone. But whenever I watch him play now, there's this sadness in my heart because I know that he's pushing gambling. Same with Austin Matthews too. Same with Austin Matthews. But it's like, it's this very special player who should just be a delight to watch, but you can't fully enjoy him because then in the intermission, you see him 
shilling a gambling company. Yeah. Like it's, I prefer the way that the NBA does it. No active players in gambling ads. And I think the NHL at the very least should adopt that rule. Yeah, because then you create a gray area of is it morally acceptable for the active players to be in it? Yeah. But and then the bigger problem is, is you by allowing them to associate with the gambling companies, have you created a situation where some play some players and I'm not I'm not impugning Connor McDavid here would be willing to do something like the 1917 Chicago Black Sox or Pete Rose who threw the World Series. Yeah, or even Pete Rose who betted on games. Yeah. Well, it's like you know what's really sorry, you know what's really funny about Pete Rose Tim is that Ohio legalized gambling for um sports and the first guy to put a bet down was Pete Rose. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that's where the intersection of sports and gambling is like you get guys who get paid either paid off by the gambling houses or they bet against themselves and throw the game. And that has precedence. Like there's a team that arguably should be in the in Bakersville in the baseball hall of fame that are intentionally being kept out because they threw a world series. And I do not want that happening in hockey. And I am, I am so uncomfortable with the, how chummy the NHL has been with gambling companies, because that becomes a real risk that this gray zone where it's okay for players to advertise the bank companies will lead to a player who is less scrupulous crossing the line and starting to throw games. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you, Tim. So Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these games before we head off into the close for another episode? No, I'm good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug. Sends, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Third Line Plug. You can find me on both at Great White Gipster, and you can find Tim on Twitter at M901, M901 Honey Badger. So, Tim, for the week ahead, we only got the one game against Montreal. Yeah, let's see if the Habs play better well yeah. okay they played well like let's see if we get a more even game with the halves that's fair that's fair and then of course after that we get a bit of a break because the all-star game and all that good stuff so yeah. yeah we'll have to figure out what to do with ourselves exactly because the answer isn't going outside yeah we're going on gambling sites <laughs> until next week guys I'm your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go, Sam.